0: Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. When it comes to the food that we eat, we all have very strong opinions. And I learned this uh, when I was a food server at a restaurant one summer and I wasn't very good at, at the job, uh, but I remember just learning a lot about people during that time and going, wow, uh, we are so opinionated when it comes to the food that we put into our mouths. And, and I can illustrate this for you, even if you weren't a food server, uh, I, I want you to think about when the last time you had chicken wings was, okay? So just think about that mentally. Uh, most of us probably have enjoyed chicken wings at some point in our lives. I want you to think about what kind of a, of a person you are when it comes to how you eat chicken wings. Now, that might seem like a weird thought to you, like, what do you mean, what kind of person? But you fall into at least one of five categories. Let me illustrate it like this. On this scale, <laughs> what, which one, you know, really defines the way you're eating chicken wings? So I want you just to look at that for a second, kind of figure out. You know who you are. You know the way that you eat chicken wings. This, this, is, this is a safe space. We're going to be honest together here. And so just show of hands. If you would say, you know what, one through three, that, that's me, raise your hand. Just confidently raise your hand, look around, okay. Can you feel the judgment? It's like palpable, you can feel it, right? All right, so that's one through three. If you are number four, raise your hand. Okay, okay, that's good. Now you ready for this? If you're number five, raise your hand. The five comes with sound effects. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Every service comes with sound effects. So the reality is very different philosophies go into uh, the different numbers of how you eat uh, these wings together. Now here's what's really fun. If you just are like wanting to to really make dinner time or lunch time more fun, get wings and put together a one with a five and watch what happens. I mean, it is going to create lots of conversation because uh, the five is going to watch the one set the wing down and go to the wing two and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is going on there? So many opinions we have. When it comes to the food that we eat now keep that in mind that's gonna it's gonna come into play here in just a moment I want to welcome you to abundant life church we are so glad that you're here uh, to those in the room with me to those who are watching or listening online uh, either through YouTube or podcast we're so glad that you're here as well my name is Jeremy I'm the lead pastor here and if you're new with us we're uh, about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others and we're so glad that you're a part of this with us we're going through a series through the Gospel of John right now and so if you've got a journal I want to encourage you to get that out hopefully you've been bringing it back with you. We're now on week three of these journals, so uh, get your journal out or just get something to take notes with. I'm going to encourage you to write some things down. But if you go to week three, you'll see uh, the date at the top and uh, also a spot to put the title. Today's title is Food That Fills. You're going to start seeing the theme here. Uh, Food that fills, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, So you can go ahead and write that down. You can reference this back if you ever want to go back online and watch this one and uh, figure out which one we are watching. In our Bibles today, we're going to be in John chapter 4. And so I encourage you, if you've got a physical Bible with you, that's awesome. Get to the the book of John. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or device, I encourage you to get that out as well. And you can join us as we read together in John. Now, as you're getting there, let me give you a little bit of a setup because what the passage we're going to look at today happens in the middle of the story that we looked at last week. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you, uh, go online and watch that one. Um, that, that one uh, has, uh, has been very helpful for a lot of people in our community, so I encourage you to go catch up with us when you get a chance. But basically, uh, that was a story about Jesus as a Jew going into a Samaritan village, which was uh, culturally taboo, and, and reaching out to this woman who was a, a Samaritan, and really uh, getting her to recognize who he was and acknowledging the pain that she's experienced in her life life. And so this is an incredible story. We talked about that last week. But here's you got to understand. We skipped the verses we're looking at today last week because we just focused on the story part. So what I want you to understand is uh, the woman who is going to a well to gather water leaves her water jar uh, at the well because she has just met Jesus. That is far more interesting to her than the water she uh, came for. She goes back to her town to go get people While they're waiting there, so now it's Jesus and his disciples, they're waiting at the well. People at the town are going to start trickling in. He has a teachable moment with his disciples. I don't know if you, as a parent, ever have teachable moments with your kids. You find those little windows. You're like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's give some social commentary here on what's going on. So Jesus is doing that. Hey, as we're waiting for what we know, as we saw last week, the entire town or the majority of the town is going to come to experience Jesus. As they're waiting for that, Jesus gives a little aside to his disciples. And that's what we, we see here. So John chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Have you ever wondered if the disciples were like smarter than us? They're not, okay? So they, they also miss things just as much as you and I miss things, right? So they're going, wait, who, who brought him food? How, how, did he get, how did he get lunch? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Which, on a side note, it would be kind of annoying to be with Jesus all day long, right? They're like, Jesus, we're just asking you if you've had lunch. And Jesus is like, let me tell you about my real lunch that I've had. They're like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Like, we're just asking if you're hungry, all right? You know, like, we don't need a whole sermon every time we're going to eat a dinner. But Jesus is like, look, you guys don't really know about the food that I have. And, And so then he gets into this whole much bigger conversation. Now, I want you to think about, have you ever had to uh, encourage a friend or a loved one, uh, maybe a family member, to eat something? Like, have you ever, like, they were so, you know, focused on something, you had to tell them, you've got to eat. You had to plead with them. What was going on? What led to that? What were they doing that caused you to feel like you had to step in and make sure that they were going to eat something? Well, usually it's because they, they had something else that was more important to them than food. And you're going, what's more important than food? That's a, that's a pretty big deal. But, but there are these moments where we get so consumed by something else. And I think about one of my mentors named Greg who has spoken here before. And uh, his wife tells the story of like, he will be so focused on like writing his next book that he'll, he'll just miss meal after meal. And she so have to go check on him, bring him food. Cause like, he's just in the zone. And, and I think that that's what Jesus talked about here. He's like, he's so focused on what is happening here, on what is about to happen with this entire village, that food to him is like, I don't even care about food right now. It's just not a priority. But his disciples are like, hey, our stomachs are kind of growling. Like, let's figure this out. We've we got to make sure that we're all going to eat. But I want us to look at Jesus' argument here, because this is not something you and I normally consider. He essentially says that doing God's will is how we get our nourishment. Okay? So true nourishment, true fulfillment, true, you know, uh, wow, I'm satisfied, that comes from doing the will of God. Now, according to that definition, let's each do a little self-assessment. How hungry are you? Are, are, are you full? Are you feel like, man, I am just, I, I, I'm good? Or are you going, no, I'm not. I'm not fulfilled. I'm, I, I'm hungry. I'm left wanting more. You know, it's interesting to consider as a pastor, uh, the number one reason that people give for why they leave a church, this is not unique to us, this is across our our country, uh, is they'll they'll say something like, well, I'm just not being fed there. And usually what's the reference to is the preaching is weak, or uh, I'm not being challenged, or the community isn't offering me anything, Uh, but it's this idea of I should be growing and I'm not, and I understand the the thinking behind that, but it's an ironic uh, use of words uh, when you consider Jesus' argument here that what is the determining factor in you being fed is not how deep the sermon is, it's how much you are doing the will of God. So so you can go, well, the church isn't doing this for me, but according to Jesus' logic, this is an invitation for you and I to consider, how are we engaged in doing the will of God? Because that's what Jesus got nourishment from. Or to to use uh, my little chicken wing analogy, it would be like saying, if you eat a chicken wing at a level one, and then imagine you're, you're with that person, you watch them, all their wings have a bite taken out of it. And then as soon as you leave lunch, they go, you know what, I'm hungry. You'd be like, well, that's because you didn't eat your lunch. You know, that that's because you, you just nibbled on your chicken wings, like you didn't actually eat the food that you had now to their defense i go oh no I, I did i got my hands messy i tasted the sauce in my mouth i, I got some of the meat oh, I, I got it i got the full experience and yet if you end it there i think most of us would say well there's a lot more like you, you could have got a lot more out of it than you did and And maybe that might be a helpful way to imagine, how are we approaching the will of God, participating in it? Are we nibbling on it and going, that's enough for me. I got a little bit of a taste of it. I'm good. Uh, That's all I need. And then we walk away and go, man, I'm kind of hungry. I don't feel like I'm being fed. And, And Jesus is going, well, you didn't exactly eat what I had given you. We talk about the will of God, it, it get a little bit weird as, as Christians, and how do we know the will of God? How do we discern what God's will is? A lot of times this is like paralyzing for Christians. I don't know how to move with this. I don't know how to navigate. I don't know how to pray, I don't know how to act. And, and, and we get a little bit strange about it, and it reminds me of an expression. This is a, an old Spanish proverb that says this: "All laws go the way that kings desire." Okay, All laws. Go the way that kings desire. And, and this expression goes back to the 12th century uh, with a, a king named King Alonzo the Sixth. And here's a photo or uh, stained glass of him. Uh, he's the guy on the left. And as the story goes, King Alonzo VI uh, had a decision to make on behalf of the spiritual lives of the people that he was king over. And, and he had to decide, do we want to use the Gothic-style prayer book or the Roman-style prayer book? And they had different ways of, of praying. And so uh, they went to the king and they said, King Alonzo, you get to decide what what's gonna be. And he said, well, this is a decision for the will of God. We've, we've gotta let God decide this. And so like, Okay, how are we going to do that? And so uh, he creates this fire, and he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw the Gothic prayer book and the Roman prayer book into the fire, and whichever one survives it, that's the one we'll choose. Okay, that's an interesting way of doing it, but they thought that this this is how we'll decide. So he throws them both in, the Gothic prayer book, the Roman prayer book, and the Roman prayer book burns up, and the Gothic one survives. And so he pulls it out, everyone's going, okay, it's the Gothic prayer book. And then he throws it back into the fire. And he says, we're gonna use the Roman prayer book. (laughs) Everyone went, what was the point of that? Well, the point of that is all laws go the way that king's desire, right? Like that's where they got the expression. I'm like, okay, he's saying it's the will of God. It's just whatever he's going to decide. Which again, as king, he has a right to do. He can make that decision. But when you add another dynamic to it, that's when it gets a little bit funny. Like, oh, God's going to decide. No, it's really King Alonzo is going to decide. It's his way. And and I don't know if you read much of history, but I I love reading history. And and I would say that this expression really fits a lot of the histories. That I've read. I think of uh, you know, King Henry VIII of England, right? If you know that story, he made a whole bunch of laws just the way that he desired them. And, and a lot of history can be explained that way. Like, okay, that's, that's what the king gets to do. And you might go, well, how does that have to do with us and the will of God? Well, here's what I think happens if, if you and I are not careful it, it turns into this the will of God goes the way that we desire. We become our own little mini kings, right? I get to decide. And so uh, we have our own moments. I'm gonna throw both of these into the fire and whichever one survives. And we're like, no, not that one, burn it again. You know, and then we, d- we decide again, like, no, this is the will of God. And, and so, so often what I have found is, is we figure out what we want to do. Then we figure out ways to spiritualize it and make it sound to everyone else like this is what God wants us to do. We go, this is the will of God. And you go, how do I know if I'm doing that? Well, here's how you know. Um, if this is how you approach the will of God, it will not fill you up. It will not provide nourishment. Uh, and so you can, you can make it look very spiritual. You can make it sound very spiritual. You can convince most people around you that this is what God is asking you to do. And yet you will know it's not filling you up. You're not fulfilled. You're not satisfied. Uh, because all you're doing is the things that you want to do. You're not actually doing the will of God. So you might be going, well, how... How would I figure that out? How would I do it differently? So I think we've got to reverse the order in which we approach the will of God. Most of us, it goes like this. Hey, God, please bless this thing I'm working on. God, please bless this project that I've got. Please bless this idea that I have, right? And so we invite God in to whatever it is we are already doing. And and that's not the ideal way if you want to experience the will of God. I would suggest you reverse it. Go, God, what are you already blessing? And how can I be a part of that? God, where are you already at work? Where are you already showing up? And how can I join you in what you are already doing? And if you wanna know how do you figure out the will of God, start asking that question. God, what is it that you are doing and how can I participate in it? How can I be a part of what you're doing? It's a way to flip the traditional narrative. And I don't think the will of God is a riddle. So much was like, well, you can't figure out God's will. No, if you look at the words that Jesus is saying here, his argument, he's talking about them, his disciples, figuring out what God is already doing. You don't need to recreate some grand plan. Figure out what God is already doing. Go back to John 4. Watch what happens next. He's continuing this argument. Verse 35. Jesus says, you know this saying: four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Now, again, I want you to imagine as he's saying this, Samaritans from the town are coming out to see Jesus. And he says, wake up and look around you. Well, we don't know what the will of God is. Wake up and look around you. Samaritans are coming to know Jesus. The fields are ripe for harvest. And so, if you're one of the disciples saying that you're going, Well, I just don't know what the will of God is. Maybe he'll bless this thing I'm going to do later today. It's like, No, he's doing it right in front of you. Be a part of that. And to them, they're thinking, Wow, God's will even includes Samaritans? This is crazy. If they only knew how big this thing is gonna get, uh, they would not be able to process it in this moment, right? It's not just a Jew and Samaritan thing. This is a worldwide thing, but it starts here in this moment with the Jews uh, getting to experience Samaritans coming to know Jesus. And Jesus says, wake up and look around you. Verse 36, the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. This is such a cool thought as they're watching person after person trickle in from the village. And they're going, oh. So God is at work. God is doing something. And even Samaritans can get to know Jesus. And they're watching all this, and Jesus' argument is wake up and look around you. Realize you have a part to play. So if you and I today want to follow Jesus, what we have to understand is our nourishment comes from participating in the harvest with Jesus. This is not, we're not talking about farming here. We're talking about people, right, and what God is doing in the lives of people. When you and I are planting and harvesting along with God, when we are engaged, we are participating in it, we will find our nourishment. And Jesus' argument is the wages will get paid is joy. There is an excitement here. There is a, a fulfillment here that you will not find anywhere else, And yet, this would be a great theory, it falls apart quickly, when you actually try to live this out. When you go, well, okay, so I'm just gonna do my part, and it's gonna be so good, and it'll never be an issue there, and and we'll all be great. But when you get into community, and you start figuring out what's your part, and what's your part, and what's your part, and what's my part, It gets reared really quick. And the early church had to wrestle with this. The apostle Paul, uh, as he was talking later to the church in Corinth, is having to figure this same argument out with them. Well, well, yeah, but what is your role? And what is his role? And who do we follow? And how do we know how this all plays together? Let me show you how Paul continues this thought that Jesus had. He continues it in 1 Corinthians chapter three. Paul says, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, who is another leader in the Christian church, Aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Next slide. (laughs) Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. See, Paul's going, why are you getting hung up on me or Apollos or whoever? We're just doing the work that God gave us. See, we're all doing this work, but God is the one. God is making something grow. To which you and I should each ask a question, what work has God given you to do? What work? Not, not just like, well, here's my career, here's my job. No, no, what work on behalf of others, what work in the community of the church has God given you for the benefit of others? What, what work has God given you? Now, the challenge is when you answer this, you go, well, that's, I don't know if that feels like enough, like this is, this is all I do, and I don't really know how my part affects others. We, we get in this Apollos and Paul thing, right? I don't really know how what I do affects other people around me. Well, you're just going to know, like your slice of it, you're not going to know how it affects everybody. If you're an usher, uh, you're going to see one version of of how you interact with people. You're not going to know in the holistic picture of the church how that affects everyone around you. If you're a life group leader, you're going to understand in the context of a small group of people how what you're doing is impacting them. But you won't necessarily know how that affects the church around you. If you're on the parking team, you're gonna see that angle of it. If you're a prayer partner, you're gonna see that angle of it. If you're a greeter, you're gonna see that angle of it, right? And so the thought is, can you find somewhere that you go, I am fulfilled when I do this. I I, I find nourishment by serving in this way. Now some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, You currently do this and you're like, I love how I get to do this. Some of you, maybe you're like, I tried it. I tried one of those. Hated it and I've not gone back since, right? Well, just keep trying something else till you figure out, wow, I, I really click there. That is more rewarding for me. Maybe I'm wired to do that. Maybe that's the work that God has for me. And I would encourage you too, uh, when we talk about fulfillment. Fulfillment does not equal easy. So just because this is the work God has given me, doesn't mean if I'm doing it well, it should always be easy. Sometimes it's like eating kale. I don't know if you like eating kale. I hate eating kale, all right? But I know, like theoretically, kale is good for my body, or so some studies have told me, but I do not enjoy the taste of kale going down. But it's fulfilling to me, it's nourishing to me in a deeper sense. And sometimes uh, serving is like that, and it can be discouraging when you go, well, what role, what am I even doing? How does this even affect others? And you get to, I follow Paul, I follow Paul's, I don't know how to navigate this. We each have to figure out what work has God given us. See, for me, I go, well, the work that God has given me is I get to preach most of the sermons in this community. That's the work God has given me. Now you might look at me and go, well, must be nice for you. You get to see how what you do affects everybody. And the answer is, no, I don't. I I know how it affects me. I sometimes get little glimpses of it. But just like you, if you're serving, I don't know the full picture. I don't know how God uses my part. I just know that I'm fulfilled by it and I've got to keep showing up to do the work that God has given me. And every now and then, you'll get a little glimpse of of someone who will let you in on what God is doing, and those are always the most encouraging moments to me. And and any one of us, if you serve, you you get these glimpses, but I gotta have a glimpse this week. Uh, Someone in our church community sent me a card, and it would be hard for me to describe how encouraged I was Buy this card, and, and and it would probably seem disproportionate to you if you understood how I reacted to it. Well, the card was someone uh, basically saying, "Hey, here's how what you are doing is impacting us," and and, and just thanking me for it. And, and there was a picture on the front of the card, and uh, and she said, uh, "When I saw this picture, I immediately thought of you." And so I looked at the picture and went, "Wait, what?" And so I'll show you this picture because it confused me for a moment uh, when I read this. Um, it's a picture of three ducks, and. So I'm like, I'm not sure the point that they're making. So I had to keep reading. Uh, But then I got to this line in in the card. It says, thank you for being willing to be the duck that goes through the door and looks deeper for God's truth and then inviting us in to experience it for ourselves. I'm just the little duck that walks ahead (laughs) of you guys. Right? That's all I am. I, I'm not like leader of the wolf pack. I'm a little duck waddling in front. Like that's, that's what I can do. But I thought, you know what? That's beautiful. I will gladly be that little duck. And I'll just walk ahead and go, let's go, guys. Let's figure this out. But it was this like moment, this little glimpse where it was like a little piece of heaven got pulled back. And I got to see, oh, you know that thing that you show up and do? Here's how it affects other people. And it got me thinking, okay? If all of us were serving in different ways and we were engaged in the church, what if heaven— was just like a long story hour of Jesus telling us how what we did affected other people. Hey, you, know, you remember that one time where you were in the parking lot, and you, you, you said hi to that person, you smiled? Well, man, you, you totally changed their mood that day, and here's how that affected them, and, do, 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 do. and all of a sudden you're going, Whoa. That, that had that impact? Hey, you remember when you said that one thing to that person? Remember when you said that prayer for them? Remember when you introduced yourself to them and they didn't know anybody in church? Let me tell you, and what if heaven was us sitting around and Jesus going, come here, I want you to meet someone. I want you to see how what you did impacted others for the kingdom. Wouldn't it be incredible if we got to just hear the stories? Because that is what God is already doing. The fields are ripe for the harvest and you and I get a part to play. You and I get to figure out what work has God given us and how can we participate in it. A couple weeks ago, I was at our Vancouver campus and uh, we we're doing a little vision night and, and we did a Q&A where I answered some of their questions and one of the questions was about my, my views of volunteering and how, did I, how do I think about volunteering and, and what, you know, what does that look like on a campus level? And, and I shared something that I want to go into a little a bit deeper here. Uh, but I, essentially, I think we, we frame the conversation wrong uh, collectively as a church when, when it comes to this subject. See, the way we normally talk about, hey, how can you get engaged in the harvest and what God is doing? Well, it usually looks like this. We'll say, the church has a need, Right? And then some well-intentioned people go, all right, I'll do it. Right? The church has, hey, we need someone to help in the kids' ministry. Then we just like shame you. We stare at you and then you're like, <laughs> All right, fine, I got a kid, I'll do it. Like, I'll take a turn. Well, I'm I'm only doing one week, you know, then it's your turn. And then like that's how we traditionally in the church, that's how we talk about volunteering. Like, we have a need, who's up? You know, who can we make eye contact with until you say yes? And but here's the reality. It's true. The church does have needs. And here's why. Because that's the way God designed the church. Like the church cannot function without you. Like I don't know if you realize this. Like you are the church. And so if we said, hey, we have no needs, you should be really concerned. Like if, if you, the church says we have no needs, you'd be like, what are we doing here? Because it's not a church. The church has needs right and you are equipped to meet the needs of the church but the problem is I think this frames it in the wrong uh, perspective because all we do is like fine I'll, I'll do it no one gets excited by that no one's pumped and if you do go help the kids ministry for a weekend you're probably not overly fulfilled by it but what if we presented this in a very different light rather than the church has a need here's what I would suggest the church has an opportunity for me to thrive. That's how we should look at it. The church has an opportunity for me to use what God has given me for the benefit of others. And without the local church, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm going to be able to do because there are opportunities to do it in the local church all around me. The church has an opportunity for me to thrive. See, if you're going, man, I, I don't want kids, I, that's here's the reality. Some of you, you're really good with kids. Now, you may not be a school teacher. You may have a totally different you know, career path. But the reality is you have kids and you're dang good at it. And, and the way some of you are wired, I've seen this. I have a friend who uh, probably a year ago now, I don't know how long, but I was watching the way he interacted with other people's kids. And I said to him, hey, you know you're like really good with kids, right? And he's like, no. That, that's, just, that's just how I talk to them. I'm like, no, no, the way you talk to kids and the way I talk to kids, very different, okay? Like you are really good with kids. Now he is serving in our kids ministry and he is thriving as a result, Not because, oh, the church has a need and I should do something about it, but because he realized, you know what, I actually do like kids, and I actually am good, and and it actually is fulfilling to me. Uh, When I was in Vancouver the other night, I had someone who was helping with kids for the night said, I could be having the worst day ever, but when I get to go volunteer with the kids, it, it makes all up for it. I'm going, that is someone who has found a way to thrive in the work that God has given them. Now, here's what I want to say, real Real practically, okay? And I don't say this to shame you, just to offer you an invitation, okay? As your pastor, if you have been here for longer than a year and you're not serving, you are missing an opportunity for you to grow. Okay, just let that sit there for a second, right? If you have been here for longer than you now if you're new with us and you're checking this thing out, we're so glad you're here. You are welcome to figure this out. I'm not trying to shame anybody. What I'm saying to you is you are missing something. You are not getting all that we have to offer you if you're on the sidelines and you just show up and you attend on the weekend. You're getting a, a version of it. I want you to get more than that. I want you to experience the life that God has for you. And so here's what I would encourage you, and you can write this down. If God is making seeds grow, you want to be part of the process, right? If the fields are ripe for harvest and God is doing something, you want to be a part of what God is doing. And to whatever degree you go, nah, I'm gonna gonna opt out of this, I'm gonna be on my own thing, you will miss the life of what God is doing all around you. I don't want to miss the harvest because I wasn't willing to ask, God, what, what role do you have for me to play? What, what part can I play? But the moment you say yes, let's go, all right, God, I realize you're doing something. I realize that you've given me a part to play. How could I begin to figure that out? How could I begin to, to navigate that? You're going to start seeing this conversation in radically new ways. So if we're talking about the will of God and you're talking about nourishment, here's my question. Are you hungry are you satisfied? Are you getting all that there is to get? Or are you missing something? And in case you're going, yeah, I'm just not sure I'm getting it all. I want to teach you how to eat a chicken wing. Watch this. So as you can see, I've just broken off that first end bit of gristle there. You remove Sunny. one bone, yep. Hold the end. delicious. So just again, all you need to do, hold the wing, break in the centre, remove one bone, out, whole wing, mouth, remove. Short time, every time, that's the way to do it. who's hungry? I think chicken wing sales are going up this week. Here's the reality. I hope you look at that and go, that's intriguing. I want to I see that. I want to experience that. But I hope more than that, when you look at the will of God, you look at the fields are ripe for the harvest, that you'd walk away and go, I want more of that. I want to experience that. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to just be aware of it. I want to participate. I don't want to walk away not being nourished because I left something there that Jesus had for me. Let me close with this quote from Sherry Sherwood. She says this, Jesus knew there was no greater fulfillment in life than to be in the center of God's will, doing what God wants us to do, where he wants us to do it, impacting the lives of those he places in our path. Jesus did not want to miss one opportunity to offer the gift of life. So the reality is, this Samaritan woman got the invitation of a gift of life. That's the story we looked at last week. But What we're realizing today is that the disciples all had a similar invitation to experience the gift of life as they got to participate in the harvest, as they got to participate in what God was doing around them, and they got to see what work has God given us to do. The same is true for us. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, as a church, I pray that we would uh, we would find our nourishment in you, that we would experience what the, what it is that you have for us, God. That we wouldn't walk away and and talk about how hungry we are because we didn't fully dive in to what you were doing around us. And so I pray that you would uh, inspire us, motivate us, encourage us to take a next step, to take a step forward, to figure out what what work have you given to us and. And even if we don't fully know how what we are doing is going to impact others, may we just get a glimpse of it. May you just give us little reminders. And I'm so grateful for the reminder I got this week that the part that I get to play is impacting others. May, may you remind all of us that when we say yes to you, when we say yes to the work that you have given us, that, that we get to now impact others in profound ways that we won't even know about this side of heaven. And so I just pray that you would ignite in us, that we would uh, want to desire more, that we would not be content to leave anything there, but that we would find our satisfaction, our fulfillment in you as we engage in the work that you have in blessing those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. amen.